the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Well, greetings from the crazy house here in the United States of America. And we have a couple of guests in a less crazy house, I hope, in Canada, being, of course, our friendly co-hosts, Jay Randall Murphy and Chris Woodkowski. On short notice, as usual, joining us. Thanks again for putting up with the abuse, sir. Glad to be here, Gene. Wanted to bring up a couple of little things, and then we'll get into what's happening up north, and also about disclosure and all the crazy stuff. Now, as our listeners know, if you've been a long-time listener to the Paracast, when somebody well-known in the field passes on, we do a special episode, kind of a roundtable discussion. And we did that with Jim Mosley when he died. We did that with John Keel when he died. We did that with a few people over the years. And when Stan Friedman died... I wrote to a couple of people that I shall not name, although you might get the connection in a moment. And I said, hey, let's do something for Stan. Now, understand I had known Stan Friedman for many years, since the 1970s probably. I didn't agree with him on everything. Not at all. Debated with him a few times about stuff like MJ-12. But he seemed to be decent about it. And then there's this piece that I know Chris has seen from Kevin Randall in a different perspective. And the point being here is that Stanton Friedman was highly competitive with his fellow authors, but not always in the most pleasant way. And I'll mention one example only because it involved my old friend Jim Mosley. And Jim for some years, was a lecturer on UFOs. And let me tell you how he got the gig. He got the gig because he told the lecture bureau he was cheaper for a lecture, cost less money than Major Donald Kehoe. So if you couldn't afford Major Donald Kehoe, you got Jim Mosley. And then we learn in a letter that Jim had written to Kevin Randall that Stanton Friedman had talked to some of the places that Jim was doing lectures for and urging them not to do it. Why do we even have this in the field? I thought that the UFO field was above that, Chris. What do you think? Well, I don't think the UFO field's above it. I mean, uh, other people I'm in the field are certainly probably guilty of similar things. I, too, go back in my uh, uh, relationship with uh, Stan back into the 1970s. In fact, I'm trying to think whether it was 77, perhaps, when uh, Stan first came up to uh, Winnipeg. And to save money, he actually stayed at my home and got to Noma uh, initially through that. And then um, uh, he came back up, oh, I don't know how many times, a dozen or so times after that, and we had uh, met at various conferences over the years as well. I knew that Stan and uh, Kevin Randall uh, had some bad blood. Uh, I didn't know all the details, and frankly, I didn't want to know all the details. I'd also heard similar things about uh, Alan Hynek. There was some bad blood between him and others, and that he wasn't the saint that everybody uh, raised him up to be, and, and things like that. What I can say is that 
during the time that I knew Stan, I didn't witness anything like that. I knew he was very competitive. He was very aggressive in promoting himself. Part of that certainly is because uh, that was the way he made a living. He had stopped being an in-the-lab physicist uh, a long time previous to that. And uh, going around the country lecturing and uh, eking out a living that way uh, was the only way that he uh, uh, supported his family. That, that was, I mean, obviously the reason he did that. In terms of promoting himself over others and, and uh, uh, demoting others, uh, again, I don't know much of that. I do know that, that there had been some times, like I remember a MUFON conference in, I'm trying to think, maybe 2007, 2008. Uh, it was in Denver, and uh, I'd been invited to speak, and both Stan and Kevin were speaking as well. There was a panel discussion. I was invited to be on with the two of them on stage, and I wasted no time in grabbing the two of them and having them pose with me in a photograph, knowing full well that they were shooting daggers at each other, <laughs> because I wouldn't have any of that. <laughs> that and is awesome. Fact, my table uh, in the Huckster room at the MUFON was right next to Kevin uh, on one side, and Stan was on the other side of me. So basically, you were uh, playing interference here between the two. I was the buffer, and uh, I just wouldn't have any of that. I, uh, I, uh, you know, ignored the fact that uh, this was going on at all. And at one point during the uh, uh, during that particular conference, the two of them, I did actually get the two of them talking. And I stayed out of it, and it did not result in fisticuffs. So I don't know exactly what went on, but um, I, I, you know, he wasn't. He, he had his, his issues. He and I also disagreed. He was absolutely sure that we were talking about flying saucers from outer space, of course. And uh, I told him, you know, I don't see the evidence for that, Stan. But he, at the same time, would. Uh, introduce me from because I was every time he was in Winnipeg he uh, I would uh, attend and he would introduce me um, from the front and after that uh, people would come up to me and share their UFO sightings with me so um, you know he he was perfectly willing to not share the stage but give credit where credit was due although obviously in the case of Kevin and Jim uh you know things went awry we don't know the whole story i don't know exactly what went on but what i what i can say is um you know i personally didn't didn't see any of that and you know i mean uh, nobody's a perfect saint i'm not I've said some things uh, uh, in the past about uh, some people that I regret, and then I've clashed with some people uh, who are quite prominent in ufology. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's deserved, and sometimes it was just one of those things. I think that's an amazing story. There you are playing the Canadian diplomat. That is just perfect. <laughs> you know, have you ever considered going into politics? Because, I mean, if you could no, keep no, the peace I'm, I'm between far, those two. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm far too honest for that. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to remark on anybody's honesty here. I will only say this. Again, I've never had any encounters with Stan Friedman that were less than favorable. And the same thing is true with Kevin Randall. And the same thing is true with Jim Mosley. Although Jim Mosley had said some things 
in a snide fashion about me in Saucer Smear. Oh, Saucer Smear was great for that, sure, yeah. Sure. And I was responsible for helping him name and design the lettering for Saucer Smear when he kept releasing it under different names before he settled on Smear. All the individual letters in the word I had set up for him. Don't ask me to go into how I did that. It was very <laughs> simple. It was done with an old CompuGraphic photo typesetting machine in, in, to which I had access. That's how I did it. But getting back to this point, I just was upset that hearing that Stan had called places where Jim was being paid to lecture and say, why have him? Now, it's one thing to be competitive to say, I'm cheaper than Major Donald Kehoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if he didn't do that aggressively, if he had his lecture agent sell Jim as a lower cost alternative, I suppose that's okay. But if you actively solicit yourself to say, don't hire this guy, hire me, you know, maybe I'm feeling that's a little bit less decent of you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Chris Rudkowski is joining us, and it's not going to be talking about Stanton Friedman for the entire episode, so folks, don't expect that. That's not going to happen. Jay Randall Murphy is co-host as usual. You're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. When you have a pain in the neck, a real pain in the neck, back, shoulder, or legs, you now have two convenient choices to get fast relief without taking another pill. Because now, Sunny Bay heating wraps and pillows are available at both Amazon and Walmart. Yes, see Sunny Bay's four-and-a-half to five-star customer reviews on Amazon.com or Walmart.com. Our made-in-the-USA microwavable heat wraps, heatable neck pillows, and extra-large body wraps are designed better for perfect support where and when you need it. Even while driving, Sunny Bay Wraps will not burn and stay balanced to provide soothing hot or cold therapy to help treat temporary or chronic pain. And the best part? Sunny Bay quality products started under $20. Join thousands of happy customers and see why Sunny Bay products have a lifetime 100% positive rating on both Amazon and Etsy. It's easy. Click Amazon or Walmart and search today for Sunny Bay. 
Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Today, many of us are paying attention to our health, and what we eat plays an important role. But so often, the water we drink is a mere afterthought when it should be a primary part of our daily nutrition. Real Water would like to change how you think about the water you drink and how it can play an important role in helping your body restore balance and reach its full potential. The key benefits of every bottle of Real Water are stabilized negative ions, balanced pH, detoxification, and it hydrates you like never before. And yes, it tastes great. Real Water is beyond alkalinity, and due to its proprietary process called E2 Technology, it's the only drinking water on the market that can maintain a stable negative ionization, which means real science in every bottle. Order your real water today and take advantage of special pricing for this audience only by calling 1-855-REALWTR or visiting buyrealwaternow.com. That's 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Order now. 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Mineral Doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for Life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur decks for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for Life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So we're continuing here our discussion, and we had focused briefly on Stan Friedman, starting with why... We never did a roundtable remembrance. There was another person I had asked, by the way. I wasn't aware that Kevin and Stan had disagreed more than about issues, and that it was more than that. I didn't follow that because I wasn't paying attention. There was another well-known figure in the UFO field who has been on the Paracast a number of times, an old friend of mine, and he said no for a number of reasons that he identified he would not participate in a roundtable. So that thing never came to be. And let's just leave it at that. I think to Stanton's benefit, he got a lot of people interested in UFOs that might not have otherwise become interested. I think to a heavy extent he was an entertainer, though. And he had all these catchphrases that an advertising executive would find a very good idea. Cosmic Watergate and things like that. And I think if anything else, if you got people interested in the subject, I don't think he was lying to them. I think he may have presented views and information that may not have been fully vetted in a way I would have vetted them as an old-time journalist. But I think he did more good than bad, In that sense, it's not like the Hangar 1 TV show 
which was, of course, something that was supposedly was based on the cases from MUFON, our next subject, and they'd make up their own facts. So it was fake news. Excuse me, alternative facts. That's right. I'd like to ask both of you just a couple of quick questions on this. Like, Gene, for you, okay, so when it comes to Mosley, okay, so he would say something to the effect of, all right, well, you know, I'm cheaper than Kehoe, so hire me. But then if Friedman goes, well, hey, you know, maybe you should hire me instead of Mosley, I mean, what if this was a press agent doing it instead of Friedman himself? And we know that there's some pretty, let's say, positive press agents out there or who will really it wouldn't be above them to do something like that on behalf of their client to try and get them a gig. Well, here we're talking about Jim had an agent representing him and then presenting a roster of speakers. And Jim gets, say, $800 and Major Keogh gets 12 And they'll hire Jim because he's $800 because a lot of educational institutions didn't have the 12 I don't know the fees. Actually, I filled in for Jim a few times, so I did know the fees. It's not important. The key here is that it wasn't to denigrate somebody else. It was to say, this guy is this much, this guy is that much. So we'll give you that alternative and take which one you want. Now, in the case of Stan, it was to denigrate Jim Mosley to maybe get the gig instead of him. So it depends on how you treat the subject. If you offer different speakers or you offer yourself as an option and your main promotion there is this guy is an experienced UFO investigator, but he's cheaper. Well, Would sure, you I like to that. have I that mean, as agents, a cheaper alternative? Agents can, you know, agents can be pretty persistent and, and it's their job to get their clients, their their gigs. So if it wasn't Friedman himself, but it was an agent doing this, and this is really common in the business, you know, is it just because Friedman did it himself and not an agent? Or do you think that even if an agent does that, it's still just as dirty? Okay, now, now, apparently, this is what Jim said in his letter to Kevin Randall. Several colleges told me that after I was already booked with them, he, being Friedman, would call more than once and plead that they cancel me and put him on instead. So? And then, dirty pool, I say. When I finally dropped off the college circuit in 1974, Stan once said to me on the phone, I don't have to think of you as a rival anymore. The key here is, Randall, it's... Not that you're competing with somebody. It is after the person is booked. You call that college and say, no, don't hire him. Hire me. I don't see a problem with that. They can choose. Okay. I mean, as long as you're not, you're not slandering them or saying something I don't know that I don't or know untrue or, you know. I like just thought it was a bit overbearing. Standard. It's a bit overbearing, I thought, and that's it. Any case, all right. I've done sales, okay? And, you know, there's, you know, you are as a salesperson, if you're going to sell something, you have got to make a case and, and make, getting people to change their mind is part of the job. You know, so, I mean, it all depends on how you look at it. But I also have a question for Chris, okay? So, Chris, yes. you were saying that Stan 
stayed at your place in the mid 70s. Now, for me, this would have put me in my like teen years. I'm not sure how old you are, but I mean, you must have been pretty young, right? <laughs> I was uh, I was uh, of legal drinking age at that point. Uh huh. Okay. But, <laughs> let's put it that way. And well, how did that, this happen then? Like, did you invite him, or were your parents into this, or do you know what was it like living in in the Rutkowski household? Oh well, <laughs> that really opens up a can of uh, a can of things. Um, I actually had uh, Heineck stay at my place too, um, uh, and part of it was that I was involved uh, very active in uh, university politics, and of course it was the university that had brought uh, both in for uh, uh, speaking engagements, and. Um, uh, I think in the case of Stan, I was involved in the uh, uh, the uh, you know the arrangements for his flights and, and whatever, and ended up talking to him. And it may have been something as simple as he was asking about the best hotels and where to, you know, which ones to stay away from and that type of thing. And I may have said something along the lines of, "Well, you can always stay with me if you want." And he jumped at the opportunity. Um, <laughs> and. And maybe that was, and of course he, I, I would suspect that he pocketed the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the amount that they were going to reimburse him for uh, for a hotel. So it was, uh, he was cheap. I mean, yeah, you know, he had to cut costs. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, so then how did mom and dad? I mean, did you, hey, by the way. Oh no, I was out by then. I was on my own by. Uh, 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 there were some tragedies in my family and i was uh on my own by the time i was 16 oh wow so similar to me i was out working on the railway around then by then so what what, what was your first job my first job yeah, was, what were you doing back then yeah trying to think what was i doing back then i think i was working in a bookstore um of all places um and uh that of course that opened up all sorts of avenues for me, too. I got to see all the great books on UFOs before anybody else got them. We're going to do our break now, and Randall is not going to sing I Was Working on the Railroad. <laughs> By the way, my late father-in-law, Philip, also worked on the railroad. So there you go. Fellow travelers in different years, many different years. More to come with Chris Rudkowski and Gene and Randall. You're in The Paracast. for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. 
Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. USA Radio News with Wendy King. As people enjoy the holiday weekend, officials are reminding people to take precautions during the pandemic. Governors are warning people about the risks of not staying safe. Kate Brown is the governor of Oregon. As we head into the long weekend, I do want to remind Oregonians across the state to make smart choices when it comes to COVID-19. The number of states reporting rising numbers of new cases went from eight two weeks ago to 27. As for a vaccine, White House Coronavirus Task Force Coordinator, Dr. Deborah Burks. I know everybody thinks that we're rushing for a vaccine, and we are because we want to stop infections, and we want to stop this ongoing mortality. There is one reason to have a vaccine, and that's so that we can prevent ongoing infections and the mortality that comes from that. This is USA Radio News. A nonprofit company used by many older Americans is continuing to make record profits. USA Radio Network's Tim Berg explains. AARP finances its operations by overcharging members for health care policies through its billion-dollar relationship with United Health Group. That's according to a new public policy report. Despite its nonprofit status, AARP's profits have been increasing for years, largely due to the organization's practices of marketing its products and services. That's according to a new report published by the public policy think tank American Commitment. AARP reported a profit of two hundred and $46 million in 2018. The study also found that membership dues were only 18% of AARP's revenue in 2018. 57% of ARP's revenue from 2018 came from royalty fees. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg. You're listening to USA Radio News. There's so much hand sanitizer on the market, but beware. Not all hand sanitizers are created equal. That's why you want to use 2020 Safe Hand Sanitizer. You can trust the hand sanitizer on 2020safe.net to be made with the highest quality ingredients. American made with American ingredients employing Americans. Log on now to 2020safe.net and order your one liter today. Normally $29.99, but reduced to $19.99. So hurry while supplies last and receive a bonus. That's right. You'll receive a 30-count bottle of Immune Booster, a $39.95 value, free, by using code GCN at checkout. Right now, click 2020safe.net. That's 2020safe.net to get our one-liter bottle of high-quality hand sanitizer with your free bonus. A 30-count bottle of Immune Booster, valued at $39.95. Remember to enter GCN at checkout. And the bonus is yours, free, 2020safe.net. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, we just learned, ladies and gentlemen, that J. Randall Murphy has been snorting lemonade. 
Yeah, I'm on the hard stuff. That's as hard as it gets. I haven't had lemonade in a long time. I normally drink just Sandy, which is, by the way, a Coca-Cola product, if people forget. So it's using Atlanta water. I don't know where we started this from. Any case, we were talking about personality issues in the UFO field and differences and such. Of course, Jim Mosley was a collector of personality disputes, even when he made them up, like he had a fake feud with his old friend, Gray Barker. They were close friends. <laughs> yeah. But he created a fake feud. And he said he did that to keep the interest up. When UFO interest was waning, a good hoax, a good feud, always, always. Is that the same as uh, Heineck and uh, Class, perhaps? Well, I would think in that case the feud might have been genuine, but you tell me. Well, there's stories of uh, the two of them going for uh, for drinks together and, and things like that. I mean, openly, they hated each other's guts, certainly. They would always be uh, putting each other down, uh, in, not only in public, but in media. Um, but there are stories about the two of them at, at conferences, you know, at least having civil discussions. So there are other aspects probably that we don't know of, of some people. Uh, I mean, when I see um, a show, whether it's History, uh, Hangar, whatever it is, Hangar 1, or, or any of the other TV shows, uh, and I see somebody paraded out as an expert on a particular case, and I get irked if that person really is not an expert in that case, and I know that person's not an expert on that case, or if the person is spouting a whole bunch of uh, pseudoscience nonsense and stuff that's completely inaccurate and unfounded, I get irked to the point where I say, well, why, for God's sakes, didn't you just interview me about that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> People who have done their homework have certainly been there and and enjoy playing the armchair quarterback in, in those situations for sure, and have seen it plenty of times. And after a while, I think we just get used to it and go, oh, well, I guess this is just the way it is when it comes to media and ufology. Well, certainly, and the problem is that in ufology, you can't currently, perhaps in the future, but you can't currently get a, a degree in ufology. There's no academia uh, and board of regents that test your knowledge and test your real intrinsic ability. Anybody can be a ufologist and say that they're a researcher or an expert in UFOs, and you can't can't really contradict them. They may have different views than you, but uh, at this point, uh, there's no real experts in the field that are the ultimate authority. I mean, at one time, uh, it may have been uh, Alan Hynek, who was the UFO guy, and everybody went to him uh, because he was he was the one who, who had been there. He, he had his chops. He put in the hours. He was both, uh, you know, involved in Blue Book and a civilian on the outside, and he was a, a damn good astronomer and uh, a personable guy who could tell a good tale. Now, have we had people like that w with that provenance after that? It's hard to say. And, uh, you know, who replaced, it was the old argument, you know, who replaces Hynek? Well, for a while, it was Stan, you know, because he did have an academic background. He was a physicist, uh, at least uh, had his master's degree anyways. And, you know, he knew more about physics than most people. So he could say that he had the chops and had been involved in, in the government secrets and so forth, as well as ufology. Um, and after that point, I mean, uh, there have been a lot of names tossed around about who is the the person in ufology right now there's no clear front runner right now and that has certainly been an issue in ufology that you know nobody represents ufology to the world the way that uh, alan hynek did 
That brings up something, and I'll go past it for a moment just to bring up something. There was a comic no longer with us. He lived to like 102, who used to call himself the world's foremost authority. Yes, yes. Who was that? I, I can't remember the name. Professor Erwin Corey. Ah, yes. You know, of course, it was, a, it was just a shtick yeah. in show business. Yeah, absolutely. But that was it. The yeah. world's foremost authority. He was a short little guy wearing this outfit, this black suit, and he'd identify himself with, with a tie that wasn't really tied properly, which reminds me of some other character we don't want to mention. But that was his gimmick. If you look at him without the crazy outfit, just with normally combed hair, he was a normal-looking guy. And he lived to 102. I mean, you know, bless his heart. We're talking here about who is the world's foremost authority. And there was a UFO group, or is, I'd say was, for reasons we'll say in a few moments, that I think wanted to bill itself as the world's foremost authority as a group about UFOs. And that was MUFON. But then we've had these scandals at MUFON lately, like its ex-executive director being accused of being a pedophile. Now, I can't blame MUFON for that. I'm sure they didn't know. But then we have a situation here where his replacement, the previous international director, was somebody who would sponsor mile-high flights, parties, you get the picture. And of course, we have a connection with Hangar One and MUFON. What's your perception about all this, Chris? Well, I didn't know Walt Andrus uh, that much. I, I think we had corresponded once or twice, and uh, that was about it. I had uh, deliberately set my mind to stay away from um, joining any one particular UFO group. The reason I did that is because I know that there were uh, serious wars between um, the groups. I mean, if you're a member of APRO, um, you know, MUFON would not look kindly upon you and vice versa. Um, before that, it was NICAP. And, um, uh, and, and both uh, or all of the groups seemed to have their own detractors and their own proponents, and they had good points and bad points. Um, and there, it was very, very competitive. In Canada, we had a number of groups as well that got very, very competitive with one another. And I just thought, you know what? I want to be able to correspond civilly and talk civilly and exchange information with everybody. And that's been my guiding light throughout the entire you know, path of my my ufological career. So I deliberately did not join any one particular group. Um, and to this day, I'm not officially a member of any one particular group. But what I have said to the various uh, administrators of the groups is, you know, I will certainly be uh, a resource. I will assist you. I will, uh, you know, help where I can. Um, because, of course, unlike uh, the United States, Canada uh, is, is uh, a little a little less um, populated. And there are some provinces in Canada without any uh, representation from any particular UFO group. Um, and uh, because of that, there's, if a case happens in uh, Tuktoyaktuk, 
uh, in northern Canada, uh, it's not a matter of any one UFO investigator from a from a regional director or f- field investigator and so forth can quickly get up there. But uh, you know, it might be possible to uh, for me to speak with somebody who's a pilot and uh, in my circle of friends to be able to you know to get some assistance in that regard. So uh, I'm willing to help out where I can. But I stay on the sidelines in terms of any one particular group. Having said that, I've actually, um, you know, had some stuff published in the MUFON Journal. Um, I uh, uh, worked with QFOS uh, quite closely. Got to be good friends with Mark Rodiger and and uh, Heineck and, and his gang and Jerry Clark and got uh, uh, into the Journal for UFO Studies. And in terms of APRO, the Canadian version uh, called CAPRO, uh, which uh, was just winding down in the 70s uh, when I came on the scene, uh, I did work closely with them as well. So, uh, you know, it, it, there's, there are some advantages to being uh, unaffiliated uh, and an independent Let's do our break here. Sure. More to come. Chris Witkowski, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. After about a month of Extendivite, I don't know what it is about uh, the circulation factor. I was able to increase the weight and increase the amount of sets I could do. It has to do with the oxygen getting to the blood. You should market this uh, as an athletic performance. 
And I don't change anything about my diet or anything. I just thought, this is amazing. Bilberry extract has got something called resveratrol in it, which is the same stuff that you get from red wine. It's also good for eyesight. And I was reading that the uh, Royal Air Force during World War II would give their pilots bilberry jam so they could have better night vision stuff. This is amazing. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Before we go on with being unaffiliated, as Groucho Marx once said, he would never join a club that would have him as a member. (laughs) <laughs> so true. So true. You know, of course, we all remember here, or some of you remember, that in 1969, a splinter group spun off from APRO and became the Midwest UFO Network, which eventually became Mutual UFO Network, when somebody woke up and said, why are we calling ourselves Midwest if we're going to be a national organization? I don't think they said that, but that was the impression I got. But that was a splinter group. So, so much in the UFO field. APRO kind of existed in its own universe. Okay? They didn't call UFOs UFOs or flying saucers. They used flying saucers or UAOs, unidentified aerial objects, which never became UAPs. It kind of, I think, died with the Lorenzans, right, Chris? I think so. Well, Chris, you know, that makes quite a bit of sense. And, and it explains why a number of years ago, when I started USI, the Ufology Society International, I did get in touch with you and you were you said, oh, yeah, you'd be happy to join. And then I was waiting for the follow up um, because we have a basically a, a statement by every member that says that they have a genuine and constructive interest in ufology. And I could never get that from you. And it made me wonder why. And now I think I know why, because you've always come across as so personable and very responsible in 
the world of ufology. And that's exactly the kind of members we were looking for. But that really explains it. But then there's kind of a downside to that, too. I mean, I started USI because I saw a lot of this friction in the field and thought it would be nice to have something like a more informal network where everyone could do their own thing and not have to be beholden to any particular administration and and to bring some level of unity to the field. I, I tend to think that that would be a good thing, too, because when we have everybody working as individuals, then we have all of this uh, territoriality going on. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, I think. You know, I mean, wouldn't you like to see more uni- unity in ufology? Uh, there's no question that that's that's desirable. In fact, I had the same issue when I created the Canadian UFO survey. Uh, I began in 1989, and I realized that the only way I could actually make it happen would be if I had buy-in from all the UFO groups uh, across the country uh, so that we could get contributions right across from all the provinces for, uh, uh, you know, for cases. And um, to do that, I obviously had to be a bit of a diplomat and, and try and get people to, uh, to work together. And I quickly found that there were groups in various parts of the country who did not work together, uh, plain and simple. Uh, I guess the worst case example was MUFON in Ontario, where it was so highly strained, they actually formed two groups, MUFON Ontario and Ontario MUFON, and um, uh, covering the same territory. I mean, it was just that bad. And... um, uh, and there were, you know, whole, all sorts of splinter groups uh, across the country from one end to the other, and it was very hard to to get everybody to work together. And I actually had uh, some groups refuse to give me uh, cases because this was our data, and uh, you know we investigated it, and you know you'll, you know it's it's uh, you know the, it's it's ours. We're protecting the witnesses by not giving you data. And I made right. it very clear I don't I don't want the witnesses' name and telephone number. I just want to know what was seen and that type. Type of thing, and but no, absolutely, this was our uh, cases, and you can't have them. So, you know, w- dealing with that, um, it was very, very difficult. But I did manage to to get, I would say, about eighty percent buy-in from all the groups, and of course, many groups that disappeared I mean, over the course of the more than thirty years of the, the Canadian UFO survey. Some groups appeared and disappeared. Uh, some uh, individuals rose to prominence and then faded. Uh, completely uh, and uh, have never been heard from again. Um, and the idea is to try and get everybody working together because we're all on the same side. And it's very disheartening to hear, uh, to know that even today, there are some individuals up here in Canada who are promoting themselves as having the best group. Uh, and, you know, you have to join my group because we're going to be the best group ever. And you really don't want to join that group or you don't have to give your case to that group. Give it to us instead. And, you know, that's I, I just have little tolerance for that kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I, I don't blame you at all. And I've run into similar issues with you as well, particularly with um, MUFON in, in getting access to cases. And I mean, I was volu- going to be volunteering my time for them to go through and catalog them and and uh, put them into order and make sure that they had the, the Hynek Valley classification system, uh, the whole thing, just my, all on my own time. In order for me to just do that for them, they wanted to charge me $10 per case. 
They want, <laughs> they want to charge me that. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way of doing this. But, but this sort of brings me to, I guess we should talk a little bit about the Canadian UFO survey, because I was wondering if, you know, how much you do with it when you get it. Like, for example, do you take the time to classify the the reports as, say, you know, an AN1 or a flyby or a maneuver, close encounter, and so that there is a grading system for the different reports? Yes, um, I do, or one of my uh, associates does, because I actually do have, I don't know, intern is the best name for it, but I do have people who have volunteered to help me uh, enter data, and, and uh, uh, we do physically, used to before the pandemic, physically get together and review all the cases to, to see which ones are, you know, have some exp- possible explanations and so forth. Uh, I do get the question about the valet system uh, quite a bit. I didn't use the valet system uh, or have, we're not using the valet system because uh, back when we started doing this in 89, uh, even though uh, it had been, you know, he had actually published uh, it by then, um, I had been working closely with uh, Alan Hynek since the, you know, mid-70s, as I mentioned, and had adopted um, the Hynek classification system and had actually been coding cases uh, on key punch cards in the 1970s using the, the Hynek system, uh, which uh, for me was adequate because so, so just so people know, we have we started off. This is sort of ufology one hundred and one. Yeah. Uh, so, when people decided that they were going to start classifying UFO sightings, this goes back to to Hynek, and in his nineteen seventy four book, that would have been the UFO experience. He outlined nocturnal lights, daylight discs, and radar visuals, and then. He had the close encounter of the first, second, and third kinds. So you had essentially nine variations of types of sightings that you could classify a sighting report by. Then Valet came along, started working with Hynek, and expanded on the Hynek system to include uh, more types of sightings, uh, essentially that gave us about... <laughs> 12, 16, 20 different kinds, all the way up right. to CE5, which uh, Greer conveniently ignored and just sort of, I guess, subverted into his own uh, particular thing. And, yeah. and, and so you, you're sticking with the early version then. So basically, you've got uh, nine types of sightings then in the Canadian UFO survey. Uh, actually, we did expand a little bit. Uh, we added in nocturnal discs. We were the ones who added oh. nocturnal discs in Interesting. Uh, to qualify for a object uh, with structure uh, seen uh, in the nighttime hours to parallel uh, daylight discs and uh, nocturnal lights. Um, and furthermore, we did actually adopt, uh, because we had to, um, purely photograph cases uh, where people just simply submit photos. Um, and we did have uh, a few radar visuals. And then into the era of crop circles and whatnot, we did actually incorporate something called unexplained events, so which were UX cases. Um, and in those cases, there there no UFOs are uh, associated. So we did expand a little bit, but it's based on the Hynek system um, because of history. Um, and because of the way that the survey had started out, uh, uh, I was relying on other people to provide information at that point. 
uh, you know, the cases in Ontario, the cases in Quebec and so forth. And um, the amount of information I was getting for each particular case varied considerably. And so I was looking for a lowest common denominator. And in many cases, I was very lucky to get the basics, such as date, time, uh, location, uh, you know, color, that type of thing. Let's do our break here, Guy. Sure. And this time we're going to have you do the salutation, Mr. Rutkowski. We've got Gene and Chris and Randall. More to come. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With the authority, he does that. Chris Rudkowski should become an announcer. I should, one of these days. Yeah, you know, before you were 300 years old. Yeah. Anyway, he's talking with Randall about the various classifications and UFO cases. Now, the thing that we should mention here, if we're going to kind of look through UFO sightings in the latest batch before we get to, you know, what's going on with the U.S. and the Pentagon, all that. Are we seeing today the sightings that you report, that you collect any major differences between the sightings that 
NICAP was going after in the 50s, APRO in the 60s and 70s, etc., etc. Or is it all pretty much the same thing with minor variations because of differences in eyewitness testimony? Oh, no, we're definitely seeing some uh, major changes. Uh, in fact, I was speaking to Ted Phillips at a conference uh, a number of years ago. You know, we had remarked that for almost completely um, trace cases uh, had vanished from the face of ufology. Close encounters of the second kind where a UFO lands and takes off and there's these rings or burns or holes or whatever left behind. Those cases are almost completely absent from ufology now. Uh, even the the simple close encounters of the third kind, and I may say simple, I mean where uh, you know something is seen to come down and a door opens and somebody gets out gray green or whatever gets back in. You know those close encounters of the third kind, and even the the types of things depicted in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where creatures come out and shake. Uh, Heineck's hand and grab his pipe and go back inside. Those cases are almost gone. What we have are much more experiential cases. Uh, you know, the abductions, the contactee cases, which have gone through a tremendous resurgence. But the hardcore nuts and bolts uh, are almost completely gone from ufology now. And that's quite significant. And even in the course of, uh, of 30 years, of the Canadian UFO survey, there were shifts. I mean, we, we shifted away completely from disks to to triangles to, uh, I guess, for lack of any better term, amorphous blobs of light that are more often uh, seen more than anything else now. Uh, you know, so we've, we've seen these shifts in, in types. Um, we've seen some consistencies. We've seen uh, other characteristics. And in fact, one of my projects right now, I'm going back through the uh, uh, the National Archives of Canada files going through all the uh, the cases in there. And I'm going through literally year by year, so you know, 100 or so cases per year. And after about 10 or 15 years, there's some changes in characteristics of those cases too. Uh, some years have almost uh, no close encounter cases. Some are, are chock full. Uh, uh, there are some cases that involve uh, pilots uh, seeing things fly circles around their planes. And some, some years you don't find those at all. So there are shifts in the types of UFOs that are receiving or we're, uh, we're uh, being reported and uh, we're getting in uh, in the data uh, over the course of the years. So I'd have to say that ufology is not static. It's not uh, completely inert. There are many shifts and maybe it has something to do with the personalities involved. Maybe it has to do with the period of time that we're in right now um, because we do know that there are certainly uh, you know relationships between people's belief systems and their own personal situations and and so on and so forth so uh, it's not surprising that the ufos that people are reporting are are different in some way are you suggesting here they mirror our expectations and culture because that gets into that particular valet avenue the keel yeah. yeah the keel view and, and valet certainly i think there's certainly some of that at one point um, we attributed the increase in cases to uh, uh, nuclear war jitters uh, during the Cold War. You know, that was the effect. And as we approached the millennium uh, in 1998-99, we also received, saw some interesting effects by increases in cases as well and uh, people being very concerned about the state of our world and our planet. 
so there certainly is an effect. Uh, now, whether you know the UFOs are sensing, as as you know some uh, people are saying right now, are sensing our our angst and appearing and mimicking our our inner fears and desires. Uh, you know that's a that's something that you know needs further study. I don't think we we can nail it down as simple as all that. But there's no question that. The way that we're, we're we're seeing the UFOs is certainly changing uh, from the for the from the standpoint of the recipients. That's a suggestion here that we are somehow co-creating the phenomenon that appears before us. Sure, and I guess the best example is orbs. You know, going back to the historical records, uh, orbs as a term of about UFOs is completely absent. Um, going back uh, even just a matter of 20, 25 years or so. Um, and then uh, it was latched onto by, uh, there's a, there actually was a group called Orb Watch on uh, the shore of Lake Ontario, where people would literally camp out and see dozens of UFOs every night. Um, and then it's been resurgence through uh, Stephen Greer and, and, you know, and a lot of other people calling them orbs. And what happens is that now we'll get a report from somebody uh, of a light seen in the sky, and the description of the object is that of orb, so the word orb. And that word is new to ufology in terms of, uh, you know, a matter of decades. Most uh, witnesses, uh, if you look back to the historical cases, uh, describe them as lights or uh, round or circular or, or something like that. But the term orb is really new. And, and right now, if you, you know, uh, look anywhere in ufology, uh, orb is is very very popular, um, and it's very misleading because if a, if somebody's seeing a light, uh, you know, calling an orb sort of means already that it's a sphere of some sort, and that's not necessarily the case. Uh, so it presupposes uh, an image or a, or a, some sort of form onto something that clearly is not there. Uh, but it's something that's that's very very common, and of course we know from photographs. People are taking photographs constantly, um, and uh, sending them into us. That uh, that in some cases are lens reflections, and in some cases are clearly uh, dust, uh, you know, reflected in the flash, and so forth. In fact, there's uh, you know many many web pages, uh, Twitter feeds, uh, Facebook pages, uh, and groups devoted to orbs, uh, where people see faces and and uh, creatures within the out-of-focus images that are being reported. Uh, and it's, you know, they're clearly reading in what they want to see in a lot of the uh, the objects. So, I mean, even in Sedona, uh, one of the people I work with up here in Canada uh, used to be a, uh, a journalist in Sedona, Arizona, now lives up here in Canada. And, uh, you know, she would often go and investigate things and hang out with uh, some of the, uh, the people regularly seeing the UFOs down in Sedona, Arizona. And she, she said, you know, what they were seeing were, you know, in the photographs does not match at all what people really were seeing. And in some cases, there's nothing there at all. So, I mean, it, it really is a perceptual um, humanistic experience that uh, that is a part of the ufology meme right now. Does this mean that it works against the meme that we're being visited by beings from other planets? Because if that's the case, why would they take upon activities that meet with our expectations? You know, and that's an interesting 
uh, question and possibly ironic, too, because one would think that this would eliminate the nuts and bolts aspect of ufology, but it's actually enhancing it because now if we're talking about omnipotent space beings uh, that can travel in some cases without ships and uh, time travelers and, and you know you, you name the science fiction element uh, and, and it's incorporated now um, uh, you know we're the, the fact that we don't have nuts and bolts flying saucers being seen uh, very much at all any anymore at all um, is I don't know encouraging to some people because it just means that these beings are so advanced they don't need spaceships that they can communicate with us directly. Ah, I have the answer. Yes, Chris. it's the Q continuum. It is Q. That's it. it. That's it. The Q continuum, ladies and gentlemen. The answer's there. That's it. More to come with Chris, Gene, and Randall. You're in the Paracast. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Are you ready for what's next? It's likely coming. More food shortages, power outages, grocery stores closed, social unrest. Ask yourself, do you have enough food and supplies on hand to last at least 30 days? Most Americans do not, but you can. Avoid the panic of the last-minute rush. Order your four-week supply of emergency food today from MyPatriotSupply.com. Starvation or dependency on the government are your only alternatives. Avoid those and the pain of being unprepared. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Build your emergency food supply with meals that last up to 25 years in storage, shipped discreetly to your door. Folks that know what's coming are using today to prepare. There's time for you to do the same. That's MyPatriotSupply.com, the original Patriot Preparedness Company. MyPatriotSupply.com We depend on our drinking water supply daily, but where does that water come from? Your water provider encourages you to get to know your local water source so together we can protect and preserve it. The investments we make as a community to protect our water source now ensure we have a sustainable drinking water supply for the future. Visit drinktap.org to learn more. This message is brought to you by the American Water Works Association and your local water provider. 
Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com. Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal, which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens, sulfates, silicones, or dyes for a salon-quality hair growth product, Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman. I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence. We've created a unique set of polypeptides, which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal hair care system is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at GCNLife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. You've seen crazy diets to lose weight? At GCN Team, our healthy body weight loss system simply neutrifies the body, bringing down cravings. It has been proven that nutritional deficiencies drive appetite for carbs, sugars, and fats. Lose weight the easy way. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Fighting cravings is a fool's game. Give the body what it needs to be satisfied. Again, 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. No, it is not UFOs in the Q continuum. Of course, there has been the theory here that the actual visitation by E.T. occurred a while back, and they've gone. So whatever we see now, it all has to have other explanations. Perfectly sensible, if you ask me. Just look around. Would you have anything to do with this place? Well, Um, I live here, and I definitely want to leave this place. I mean, if somebody wants to take me to a, a better planet, you know, sign me up. Statistically, and I, I make this point in my discussion and my talks uh, and lectures, that statistically it's more likely that aliens did visit us than they are visiting us. Because, of course, you've got the whole course of millions of years of human history, no, not human history, but history, to have visitation, whereas we're expecting that for some reason aliens are visiting us at this very moment, let's say within the past 50 years or so. And that's very unlikely given the the course of, of human history, you know, for human history, Stone Age back to about I don't know, 4,000, 5,000 BC or something like that. Uh, recorded history probably somewhere around the same time if we're looking at cuneiform records and hieroglyphics. So, okay, let's say five or 6,000 years versus 50. Statistically, the 5,000 years has it. The assumption would be then, and of course Randall favors alien visitation, would be that UFOs are a constant presence, that they stay here, they come here, And they find us interesting. I don't know. They come here and they stay here. And they're always here. And I wonder about that. There has to be a point where they say, you know what? Enough with these stupid humans. Let's go somewhere else. Yeah. 
<laughs> and the other thing is that again, um, you know, we talk about the uh, the earlier cases of trace cases where a UFO would come down and land and leave a mark and zip around, or or they'd land and grab somebody uh, like the Betty and Barney Hill and poke at them a bit and then throw them back in and take off. A really advanced civilization wouldn't have to do that. Basically, you just have to be in orbit or base on the moon, monitor our uh, radio and TV broadcasts. You can get everything you need from CNN and Fox if you listen to them together. Uh, you wouldn't have to actually come down to Earth. You know, you, you might want to get a biological sample, you know, scoop of water, get some parameciums, or Lord knows there's enough floating off in, in space anyways. Uh, so you wouldn't really have to come down at all. That kind of is an, makes an assumption, though, about what their intent is, because making themselves known could be part of the way that they're studying our reaction to their presence, in which case there is no other way to do that than to make themselves known. And their behavior seems to be exactly that, because they can choose when and where to be seen and control that scenario all that they want. We know that they don't have to, so why are they? They must be choosing to. That's the logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's certainly one viable interpretation. Uh, instead of anthropology 101, we're actually uh, psychology 101. They're they're trying to understand us, or perhaps they're trying to raise our consciousness. And that gets into the whole experiential thing right now. They're they're here to for for some reason to to change our course of history. In which case, you know, hurry up, get us out of this pandemic. <laughs> well, yeah, and we should get on to that too. But we've been through a number of things here already. And I think this would be a good time to bring in a question from our question bank on the Paracast community forums from Marduk, who wants to know what you think might be driving the upswing in reports during the lockdown from this pandemic. Well, yeah, that's really good. In fact, I I did a radio interview uh, about the report that was published, I think, in the post from Peter Davenport's data, uh, that 51% uh, increase in uh, UFO cases in the United States. Of course, in Canada, we had already noticed this and reported on that in July because, of course, the Canadian UFO survey data uses Peter Davenport's data and a few others. So look, and I, I, uh, because the Canadian UFO survey for 2019 was delayed because of pandemic, uh, we actually didn't get it out until uh, I think it was in July. So by that time, I thought, well, let's see what the numbers are like for 2020 just to see. What's curious is that the UFO data for 2019 um, had continued the trend that had been occurring for three or four years already in a decline in UFO reports. But starting in 2020, the number of UFO cases had actually shot up. And interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, not during the pandemic necessarily, but already in January and February, before the cases had really gotten a hold in the, in North America, the number of reported cases had risen tremendously. I was thinking 30 to 50 percent already. And actually, by the time the lockdowns had even started to lift a little bit in April and May, the numbers had started to, to go down from uh, the, the highs. Overall, the first half of 2020 uh, has 
has a huge increase over the same time in, in 2019. So while there's certainly a pandemic effect because, you know, it, uh, you know it's, it happened during the first half of uh, 2020, um, something else was going on in the early part of the year that still needs to be addressed. Now, why would there be a pandemic effect? Certainly because people are, uh, during the lockdowns, they weren't going off socializing uh, the way they uh, had been allowed to before. They were by themselves. They were with one or two people looking into the sky uh, because there was no sports on TV. And you know, they were reporting UFOs. So that certainly is part of it. But there's other things going on, and I, I don't know exactly what that will be. And it'll be interesting to see how the rest of uh, 2020 pans out in terms of numbers. Is it going to continue to drop off, or perhaps with the second wave uh, and further lockdowns uh, possible uh, with political uh, uncertainty? Uh, is that going to drive the numbers up? It's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, throughout the course of the year. Well, certainly public perceptions and culture and all the changes we've undergone, that's a good way to really compare that to the progress of the phenomenon to see what's going on. I agree. And there was a comment I saw that um, I forget who said it now, but uh, looking for UFOs is the new bird watching. Maybe that's true. You know, it's it's uh, because of the interest uh, in the uh, you know, the 2017, 18, 19 uh, interest in UFOs is high. We have the Pentagon announcements. We have a number of other media reports on UFOs. Uh, the the political, uh, sorry, the uh, public affairs and media relations machine, PR machine that Tom DeLonge is, uh, has advertising uh, uh, for UFOs right now and driving the phenomenon in, in mainstream media. That certainly is uh, contributing to all of this as well. So, yeah, it, it, it certainly is one explanation why we're seeing an increase in the number of UFOs. It'll be interesting uh, more to see what the characteristics, if we're seeing almost all uh, nocturnal lights, uh, then... Uh, you know, maybe that's not as significant uh, as you know we might think. If we're seeing you know other types of UFOs, more daylight discs, for example, um, maybe a, a more close encounters because there's there's a you know a small number every year. Uh, maybe that'll be interesting to see if we get. No question that part of uh, the the numbers in 2020, uh, we got a huge number of cases of the uh, Starlink satellites. Uh, their launches of those uh, series of satellites that were, uh, you know, causing a lot of UFO cases. More to come. Part of a lot more with Chris and Gene Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. 
This is Fred. Uh, hi, I'm Fred. Fred's a repeater. I tend to repeat. Fred has a business. I do have a business. And a problem. Fred repeats the same tired advertising over and over, and now it doesn't work. Over and over. But Fred is about to see a vision. I'm seeing a vision. Advertising on the Genesis Communications Network is the smart way for Fred to reach his potential customers with the most affordable national advertising rates, period. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just email advertise at GCNlive.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. An upset at the Kentucky Derby. Larry Colmus with the call for NBC Sports. Outside the gates, protesters calling for racial justice. Michael George has more. Protesters gathered near Churchill Downs as the 146th Kentucky Derby was getting underway. Demonstrators are calling for justice after the police shooting death of Breonna Taylor in her Louisville apartment in March. In Portland, Oregon, police are preparing for the 100th night of consecutive protests. I understand that they're tired, but at the same time, we're tired of you killing black people. Police say rocks were thrown at them on Friday night. This is USA Radio News. Experts are warning that Labor Day could be a super-spreading weekend for COVID-19. USA Radio Network's Tim Berg has some tips on how you should stay safe this holiday weekend. One of the nation's top infectious disease experts, Dr. Anthony Fauci, says he would be comfortable getting a coronavirus vaccine if it's proven to be safe and effective. As far as keeping our guard up during the coronavirus pandemic over the holiday weekend, Surgeon General Jerome Adams tells ABC's Good Morning America we need to mask up and stay vigilant regarding the coronavirus. Well, I'm very concerned when you look at Memorial Day, July 4th. We hit a peak in this country on July 24th, which was about two to three weeks after the 4th of July. So we know that uh, during these holidays, people come together for barbecues, for picnics. They travel. And, and that sets us up for spread of a highly contagious disease like COVID-19. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg. You're listening to USA Radio News. Warning. If you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-900-8407. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now, 1-800-900-8407. That's 1-800-900-8407. 1 Hi, it's Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com. You're listening to the Paracast. The gold standard of paranormal radio. Ah, yes. Funny you should mention the Tesla, Starlink, SpaceX satellite thingies. 
And the ultimate goal there is, I think, from Elon Musk is to put up, what, 20, 30,000 satellites to set up a low-orbit worldwide Internet access system. I read an article the other day saying people now, I guess, if they can get connected, get 100 megabits, which isn't bad if it was free. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I think in Canada, we're going to be among the first to be able to apply for access to this because, of course, a lot of uh, Canadian North is is very remote. And, uh, you know, it's uh, you, you simply don't get Internet and cell access in a lot of those remote communities. So uh, that's very beneficial. I have also understood that you can now also get the Google um, balloons. Uh, I, I think here in Canada, you can also apply to get them as your service provider as well. Also doing the same thing in remote areas. So there's a lot of things up there. In fact, we have, I think we've had at least two or three cases over the past six months uh, that were Google balloons uh, that were flying over and uh, people had reported those. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are going up now that are, you know, going to be, uh, if they haven't already, given rise to UFO reports. It's really interesting that you you compared it to bird watching because I've in my discussions with the skeptics out there they've often complained how ufology is a pseudoscience and I would have to correct them and say look as far as I know nobody's actually claimed that ufology is a science unto itself it really is something that is much more casual it is a lot more like bird watching it's not say ornithology but bird watching Right. So what we need to do, I think, now is maybe uh, help to educate some people on what it is they're looking at, because satellites behave very differently from UFOs. I saw a couple of satellites go over the other night, first time in quite a while, uh, one fairly close after the other. I'm not sure if they were the Starlink satellites, but you can tell what they look like after you've seen enough of them. It's very obvious that this is something way up there and it's in orbit. It's not simply a balloon because of the way that they move so steadily and the way that they brighten and fade. As soon as they start to change direction, on the other hand, you know, if one of them goes stops, for example, suddenly, or makes a quick turn or descends very quickly so that you can see that it is some sort of a craft, you're no longer talking about any kind of a satellite or a balloon. I, I agree completely. Yeah, if, if the satellite you're watching makes a right-angle turn, probably not a satellite. I mean, there's ways to explain those. In, a, in some cases, you know, having two satellites at 90-degree angles crossing paths and one goes into the Earth's shadow and one comes out at the exact same time. Yes, that can happen. But in, uh, you know, some cases, uh, that's not exactly what's being reserved. And, you know, I, I had a... Uh, a uh, two separate UFO reports from um, flight instructors uh, at an airport uh, here in Canada uh, just over the past couple of weeks who had seen uh, several objects uh, f- go over, as, as he described, you know, a few flights of things. So three or four objects moving together at the same time that were not Starlink satellites. And, uh, you know, he's very familiar with satellites and what aircraft look like and what, you know, a lot of what's going on in the sky. And this guy says, you know, uh, this is rattling my 
belief system because these things shouldn't exist. Um, and we're getting these reports continually. And as far as, uh, you know, satellites in the sky, uh, you know, as I say, I'm going through the historical records. And in the late 60s and into the 1970s, it was very common to get people making reports, even, even you know, fairly uh, good observers at radar stations and so forth who were reporting, you know, starlight lights moving in the sky that they didn't believe to be high-altitude aircraft, and to them they were not satellites, but they would add, you know, a white object flashing or something like that, moving from horizon to horizon. And then they would add in a little note that they believed the object was at 50,000 feet in altitude. And at the same time, they would say, oh, it was clearly round in shape and clearly a sphere, which you couldn't tell if it was really that far away. But it just underlined the um, the problems with eyewitness testimony, even from people who really were good observers. Uh, so in, in a lot of cases, we have to be very, very careful because our perceptual ability is affected by so many factors. And yet at the same time, there is a residual number of cases from good observers of objects that don't seem to fall nicely into pigeonholed categories of satellite, plane, fireball, bolide, and so forth. For your unexplained cases, earlier you were talking about, well, some of them are unexplained. When you talk about unexplained cases, are they the same sort as those that Project Blue Book called unexplained, or did you mean that there is insufficient information to explain the sighting for, for your particular use of the word? Right. Again, a good question. We've had this question many times about the Canadian UFO survey. You know, when we say that, uh, you know, there's 3% unexplained every year or whatever the percentage is for a particular year, what does that mean exactly? And what we mean is, you know, the, based on the available data and the available information from the, from the, from the witness and whatever investigation was done, uh, the object seen does not seem to be a star, a plane, a, a planet, fireball, piece of comet, and so forth. Um, now, that doesn't mean that it was an alien spaceship. It simply means that uh, it was something else. And Blue Book did something along the same line. If you look at the uh, Project uh, Special Report 14 or whatever, they also broke it down into you know astro astronomical plane, uh, balloon, and so forth, and then unexplained. And then they also had the insufficient info. And the insufficient info is a case where you know the person could remember the date, it was a very vague description. There was no, uh, not an, sufficient enough of investigation. So those are insufficient. Now, um, hardcore debunkers uh, would certainly argue that, you know, th there's no such thing as an unexplained case because there's certainly many cases that we label as unexplained without uh, adequate uh, investigation, and that's you know the, that's what's going on in ufology right now. There simply isn't enough investigation of of, of cases, despite the fact that there's field investigators in every state. Um, a lot of uh, the information that we get simply doesn't have the associated uh, documentation and uh, investigation to, to go along with it. And even in those cases where there is a lot of investigation, sometimes there's lacking details. I remember looking at some uh, reports online from some databases where something as basic as the uh, the time wasn't recorded. Um, and, you know, that's... That well, that all, can make a huge difference. That yeah. can make a really big difference, sure. <laughs> well, well, back in Blue Book days, they considered uh, uh, 
report or the object in a report as unidentified when a report apparently contains all the pertinent data necessary to suggest a valid hypothesis concerning the cause or explanation of the report, but the description of the object or its motion cannot be correlated with any known object or phenomenon. In other words, there was plenty of information there. They're just It's just that the object didn't match anything that we have. So it's not like they needed to investigate more. It's that there simply wasn't an explanation that fits anything that we know. Whereas insufficient data was just like you were saying. It, there's, it just was there was wasn't enough there to to develop even an idea of what it might be, whether it was an airplane or a balloon or anything. They just couldn't tell. That's right. And what's curious is that the Canadian UFO survey actually does a better job at classifying UFOs than Blue Book. And I say that proudly um, uh, because uh, if you look, uh, the uh, Blue Book uh, you know, had uh, their unexplained cases upwards of 20% or something like that. And, um, yeah, 269 yeah, and for the most part, uh, Canadian UFO survey, I think the highest we've had in a year has been something like 16 or 17 percent. And uh, right now it's somewhere in the, the 3 to 5 percent. We're going to have 3 to 5 percent more content on this show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we got more to come with Gene, Randall, and Chris. And I'm in the minority here because they're Canadians. I'm an American stuck here by the virus, I guess. You're in. Hey, it's the Paracast, eh? Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. With a MechTech carbine conversion unit, you can turn an XD family Glock or 1911 handgun into a carbine rifle in seconds and have it shipped right to your door, no FFL required. Now, MechTech is excited to announce our pistol carbine conversion unit. More compact with a 12-inch barrel and an arm brace, proving once again that MechTech is the world's most versatile handgun accessory. For a limited time, go to handgunconversions.com. That's handgunconversions.com and use coupon code RADIO to receive $35 off any carbine purchase. 
Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. If you have diabetes and you're on Medicare, Medicaid, or have private insurance, you may qualify for a new continuous glucose monitor. Managing your diabetes is crucial to your health. The new CGM can automatically and easily help you manage your diabetes more effectively. And by using a CGM, you can eliminate the one thing most people with diabetes dislike the most, finger sticks. Now you can automatically manage your diabetes and end the painful finger sticks. Solara Medical Supplies makes it simple for you to have a new CGM. We'll do all the insurance paperwork for you and deliver the newest in diabetic care technology right to your door. Take charge of your diabetes today with the help of a new continuous glucose monitor. Call now to learn more. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. That's 800-547-5331. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've delivered a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. It's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. This is Micah Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Hey, what country are we in? <laughs> nice I don't want to get into that. I think it's to be really weird. We're starting to get uh, weirded out. I wanted to ask you here, since we mentioned it before. So the Pentagon admits it's studying UFOs. We see all this stuff, the tic-tac UFO sightings and the Navy's interest and all that and the interest of Congress. It sounds so promising, but it is as if Project Blue Book never existed. Did we just start paying attention to UFOs since that study back in the early 2000s and nothing happened before? Is this collective amnesia? What is it? Yes. 
<laughs> it plain and simple. Uh, I mean, I boy, I was slammed on Facebook in a number of groups for you know pointing out that you know the the announcement from the Pentagon is really nothing uh, to get excited about, and and people are saying no, no, this is this is it. This is absolutely the best thing ever. And I you know as I would point out, you know we've had Blue Book. There's been congressional hearings. You know even fairly recently there's been congressional hearings and discussions and uh, on the Hill and things like that. So. You know, this isn't all that remarkable. The one thing that people have pointed out, Chris Spitzer, for example, has been after me for uh, about uh, about this. That this is a really major thing because uh, the the Pentagon, latest Pentagon statement talked about not just uh, collecting data but also detecting UFOs. But even that is is not all that new. Um, I had a defense contract, and uh, part of that was working. Uh, with national defense on uh, using uh, astronomical instruments like telescopes and other things to observe satellites and uh, you know ways of tracking satellites uh, more effectively the word detect was all over the papers and work that that I was examining and, and working on so in fact Alan Hynek himself and this is something that most people you know really didn't uh, know about uh, Hynek when I did an undergraduate thesis in astronomy on transient lunar phenomena, these are lights and and weird things that are observed on the moon. I uh, you know was doing the literature search, and I noticed there was a, a small observatory called Coralitos, uh, which had a transient lunar phenomena observing program, and their mission was to you know to observe the moon and you know try and see what was up there. And lo and behold, who is the director of the Coralitas Observatory Transient Lunar Phenomena Program but J. Allen Hynek. And it was an interesting way to sneak ufology into mainstream astronomy, <laughs> uh, and good for him. But along the way, part of that was looking at uh, tracking uh, objects and using uh, you know, instruments-based, ground-based uh, instruments to look at things in space, including on the moon. And part of that were these detection systems for observing the sky uh, using very advanced manual analog telescopes and and uh, you know it was very interesting to see how they did it back in the 60s but they were detecting and tracking objects moving in the sky and when an object was was detected that didn't appear in the regular database because they knew which satellites were up and back then there weren't as many as there are now it was actually ignored by the the then computers uh, and by the observers and just sort of chalked up to one of those things but they were detecting uh, objects in the sky way, way back using very sophisticated instrumentation. So the detection, you know, is not new at all, uh, but it's interesting that there's a revival and, uh, you know, there's uh, groups that are going around not just North America, but the world. What is it? Starless Star Lab? Well, what's it called now? That uh, a lot of people are, have signed on. I know the NICAP uh, nodes are, are part of this as well, where they're using sophisticated instruments. And I know there's uh, instrumentation packages that you can buy into to have uh, setups in your backyard and then uh, feed that into a, a database. And the idea is to to use these uh, uh, sophisticated instruments to uh, scan the sky and see if there's any UFOs up there. And, of course, even that's not new because there's a lot of all-sky cameras uh, being used by astronomers, amateur astronomers uh, uh, and professional astronomers alike, for observing fireballs. And that's how we get some beautiful uh, video imagery of, uh, of the night sky of these beautiful fireballs. So even that is not 
not new, but to apply it specifically for ufology, I'll concede that's new, but we've been getting those types of things for quite some time. Well, I mean, it's only getting better now. The average person now is better educated and has more access to technology than ever before. So if we can get some citizen ufologists out there, that would be great. I would have to agree. You know, the more people looking up into the sky and even using instrumentation uh, a little more effectively, uh, that's great. The, the, the only drawback that I would see is that in order to really cover um, the night sky, let's even just say over uh, the contiguous United States, you need a whole whack of these things. You know, uh, it, it's not enough to have people uh, in uh, in Peoria, you know, uh, over a, a neighborhood having these things. If it's one county over and there's a UFO scene there, your instrumentation might not pick it up. So you actually have to have many, many, many of these nodes in order to make it uh, – uh, really effective. Um, and I think probably the way to do it is to partner with the amateur astronomers and their all sky cameras, which are already covering the sky effectively as well, and with other instrumentation. So, well, I mean, yeah. if you can. If you uh, can, yeah. I, I tried to uh, network with a couple of them down in the States a couple of times on, one, on their forums. And as soon as I mentioned the word UFO, I was banned. That's, <laughs> how, that's how successful that went. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's still there's still is that stigma. I mean, I, I, uh, uh, I actually gave a talk on UFOs at an astronomical convention, um, and uh, I had a lot of people give me sideways glances. But uh, I was eventually allowed to speak at another one uh, because I wasn't talking in terms of little green guys and and uh, um, you know yeah contact the experience contact the experience you I was, evangelizing I was I not evangelizing it. yeah and and over the course I've, I've spoken to many astronomers I mean um, the Sturrock report most people don't recall but Peter Sturrock did a study of uh, astronomers uh, finding how many astronomers have actually seen UFOs the Gert Herb report uh, a study of amateur astronomers and uh, uh, the number of amateur astronomers uh, around the world who have seen UFOs. These studies are, are largely forgotten, but uh, you know they, they really contributed a, a lot to our understanding of, of uh, uh, the demographics of people who see UFOs. And um, I have a, a close friend. I'm going to be going down uh, to his ranch in, uh, uh, in Texas in 2024, if we're allowed to travel across borders by then. Um, uh, that's going to uh, be the fat chance department, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, for the next eclipse, because the next uh, eclipse in 2024 it goes directly through the heartland of uh, the United States, and uh, uh, it's going to be spectacular. But um, he... Uh, E.T. is going to be waiting on the border. Yes, yeah, he'll, he'll throw me over or something like that. Um, but, uh, you know, he's an astronomer, and, and I had this discussion with him about astronomers seeing UFOs. And uh, he is a, a damn good astrophotographer. A lot of the, uh, some of the images that you see in magazines uh, come from him. Uh, and he says, you know, he is very careful about talking about UFOs to people at uh, astronomy star parties. But uh, he makes the, the point of, uh, amateur astronomers and you know, most professional astronomers don't look at the sky directly themselves. Uh, he sets his scope up, uses his computer-driven scope to point it at a messy object, let's say Andromeda or, or, or whatever, um, and sets the tracking on it. 
and uh, goes in the warm-up room to have a few beers and uh, maybe even a nap for two or three hours uh, and then comes out and then adjusts the telescope again. Uh, that's not doing observational astronomy, and there could have been a UFO flying. And he actually said there could have been a UFO hovering over the, their warm-up room for a couple of hours, and they would never have noticed it. So... Um, it's the, you know, and I've made this point before too about astronomers. You know, astronomers are always looked at as you know the people who should know about UFOs. Uh, they're the last people in some cases who would know about UFOs because if, if you're talking to UFO witnesses, uh, the objects are seen at close range, hovering right over houses and power lines and so forth. Well, telescopes don't look. Uh, at your next door neighbor, unless you're a peeping tom, I suppose, but. Um, they look far off into space. They're not really concerned about what's happening just, you know, within a few hundred feet of the Earth's surface. So, uh, in that sense, astronomers would not necessarily be the, the best people to talk about observations of things uh, close by. The thing to mention, too, Chris, is that there's a modern image of astronomers, or just traditional. They're, these guys are sitting there in an observatory, and they're constantly looking through that eyepiece and things that are going on around them. As you say, the perspective is all wrong. They're looking at things way out there, and UFOs are happening here. And, of course, that's a, a big thing about UFOs with their spaceships. How come we don't see them in space? We see them here. Chris Rudkowski, Gene Steinberg, Jay Randall Murphy, you're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. Here's a clip from the Rachel Ray Show testing the results of Instantly Ageless. Board certified dermatologist, Dr. Whitney Bow. If you're looking to try to turn back the clock on a budget, you know, in the privacy of your own home, but actually there's some recent technologies emerging, almost like changes the behavior of the skin right. while it sits on the skin. She went off to try a product called 
instantly ageless. Yeah. Instantly, you could see a difference. Even the cameraman were like, wow, look at the difference. Yeah. I mean, but I would definitely use this product. This product, within minutes of applying it, it was actually a very dramatic rejuvenation. Try instantly ageless today at GCNlife.com. That's GCNlife.com. 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at GCNlife.com. That's GCNlife.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have the Paracast Plus, our premium package, where we offer the ad-free version of this show and the After the Paracast podcast. And you will be hearing the continuation of this discussion on After the Paracast with Chris Rudkowski. We have basically roped him in to stay with us. We're not letting him leave his chair. Of course, he might tell us he's actually standing. I know some people do this where they stand or like John Lennon allegedly did when they sang the single version of Revolution, lying on his back. Was, was that true? I don't know. Is that even true? That's, they did really weird true. things. I mean, they would have this hallway to create echo effects at the Abbey Road Studios. They didn't do it electronically like they do now. And they would do things there. They did all sorts of really weird stuff to create unusual sounds. And one of the first people to use the Mellotron was Paul McCartney and Strawberry Fields Forever. All this trivia. Back to UFOs. So, Chris, the big argument here is perspective. We see UFOs here. We have astronomers looking out there. They're not seeing anything weird if they are even looking because they're using their computers now. But if UFOs, flying saucers, UAPs, UAOs, whatever you want to call them, or spaceships, wouldn't we see something out there? Absolutely, and that's uh, that's something that uh, Phil Plate uh, and a few others have pointed out. That you know, astronomers, while they wouldn't be experts in what's happening in the uh, low Earth's atmosphere, you know, if there was an interplanetary spaceship coming from you know a distant star, we'd you know astronomical instruments would certainly see that. We mentioned Kevin Randall, of course, one of his uh, great series of books um, on uh, uh, interstellar travel. I think there's a series of four. I can't remember the titles right now, but it has to deal with a object that was detected by astronomers and eventually it, it, it's revealed as a as a large uh, spaceship from another planet uh, you know these are the types of things that astronomers uh, argue that you know if there was something from another planet coming we'd certainly see it and you might have remembered the the, uh, the object that was seen zipping through our space uh, through our solar system uh, I can never pronounce it onanamahura or uh, 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 yeah that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Gesund- Gesund- Very interesting. Just so our listeners uh, don't get too confused, Kevin Randall also writes fiction. So you were talking about his fictional books there, not right. when were they actually did detect a, a, an interstellar craft, right? Right, yeah. In fact, those that series of uh, four fictional uh, books in a series are probably one of the best, probably accurate envisions of what might happen if we actually detected a if astronomers actually detected an interstellar spaceship coming towards earth um, he did a bang up job it was uh, it's it's uh, it's really quite good um, but yeah those are the types of things that we might be able to detect um, 
And it is actually curious why, if UFOs do represent, you know, travelers from another planet, how come we don't see the mothership like that? Um, and, of course, Close Encounters of the Third Kind neatly uh, dances around this completely and ignores that because uh, the giant mothership seen at the end is never seen from Earth uh, until it magically appears over uh, uh, over the mountain. So, you know, the, there are some issues here. Now, one can, you know, start flapping your arms and talk and waving your hands about, well, you know, there's going to be uh, cloaking devices and uh, Klingon bird of prey and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, if they don't want to be seen, if they're that advanced in technology, we wouldn't necessarily be able to see them. So you can throw those arguments in as much as you want. And of course, uh, some of the arguments lead to discussions in terms of uh, time travelers. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe interstellar travel is not possible. And what we're actually seeing are uh, people who, uh, you know, traveling to uh, visit us from the future. Um, and, yeah, but uh, isn't that even more far out there when you think about it? I mean, interstellar travel, at least we know this universe exists. We know that travel within our uh, experiential time continuum is possible. Uh, but apart from that, we don't know that we can actually change it other than through our normal laws of physics where, you know, there things time does slow down and speed up a little bit but sci-fi like time travel there's no way that we can say that that is even necessarily a, a an actual possibility at this point of view but but the nearest star is only 4.2 light years away even at half the speed of light if there's a planet there which there is who knows I mean, that's, you know, that doesn't sound that impossible. Well, yeah, um, although, you know, we can't get anywhere near half the speed of light right now, and, and there's nothing even on the horizon in terms of approaching that. However, when I make this point in my lectures, that um, I'm not talking about breaking the physics uh, laws, I'm talking about bending the physics laws, and that's certainly possible. Uh, and, you know, if uh, our, since our star is an average star, which means that there's stars a little bit older. Uh, and when I say a little bit older, I'm not just talking 100 years, I'm talking a million years. Uh, and around those uh, other stars might be uh, planets on which uh, there might be uh, evolved life and intelligently involved life with a bit of a head start, not just 100 years, but let's say 10,000, 100,000 years. They may have evolved to the point where they could travel between the stars or figure out a way of bending the laws of physics to do that and that's what we're talking about. And if you're talking about bending the laws of physics, then it's possible that you wouldn't need to physically travel in a spaceship 4.6 light years between Alpha Centauri and us. Uh, it might be possible to, you know, start out, uh, you know, and bend the laws so that you are suddenly here, displaced in, in space and time somehow. That's Stargate. all Stargate. Star, Stargate. Stargate, yeah, it's uh, it's wonderful science fiction, but of course, you know, you know, until we have some physical proof, it is all science fiction. But it's the fact that we're living in the Steven Spielberg, or I suppose the James Cameron uh, uh, world right now, where we can, you know, talk about aliens traveling between the stars and. You know, we were just talking about Alpha Centauri, you know, which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, where the some of the James Cameron's movies are set, um, that we're 
we're able to talk in terms of traveling and we can envision these possibilities of what aliens look like. You just have to turn on your TV or uh, go to a movie whenever you can go to a movie to, to see that. Uh, so the possibility of aliens being here is kind of a, an assumption. So are, are they getting here? I don't know. We don't have that physical proof. Now, experiencers say that they do have the proof, but not physical proof. Um, and oh, Okay, so now we're into this whole issue of proof again. So, <laughs> you know, so, for, so proof is simply evidence that is sufficient to justify belief in a claim. Now, for some people, that evidence is of a different kind or re- or it requires more or less of it. So, you know, proof really is a subjective uh, term, isn't it? Ooh, I don't know if that's true. I think proof is a is a uh, is is objective because if you actually, you know, talk in terms of proof that um, a metamaterial is uh, truly from another uh, planet. There are tests that can be done physically on that metamaterial to prove one way or another. Um, and so in that sense, the proof would be very, very objective. Uh, but in terms of uh, uh, belief systems and, and you know, proving beyond a, a shadow of a doubt to somebody who is firmly entrenched in their, their belief systems, uh, proof is, in fact, very, very different. Uh, one only has to venture into the area of religion gingerly. Uh, to try and prove the existence of God or a, a deity of your choice, uh, that you get into some very interesting philosophical and theosophical discussions about what constitutes proof to a person when belief is, uh, you know, simply not enough, or you have such a strong belief that you can, you know, believe that manifestations do represent, uh, you know, some encounter with a, a, a deity of some kind. So yeah, I mean, in some cases. I would have to agree that that proof can be subjective, but a truly objective basis of, uh, you know, if we're talking about physics, you know, nuts and bolts, uh, then there are some limitations on that. Right. Well, then we're talking about what would be called scientific, scientifically valid material evidence. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a scientifically valid announcement here, hopefully. We have Gene, Chris, and Randall, you're in. The Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Attention radio listeners, if you're concerned about the coming chaos after the November elections, this will be an extremely important message. Here's why. No matter what the outcome in November, 
catastrophic social upheaval is a very real possibility. Here's why this is important. Listen, we all know that silver and gold have been historic hedges against the uncertain waves of social chaos and unstable currencies. But did you know that there's been times in the past, during times of extreme hardship, when Americans put another store of value above even silver and gold? It's true. Open pollinated seeds have been and could very well be the ultimate store of value in the coming hard times ahead. Go to survivalseedbank.com to get heirloom seeds below wholesale. Visit survivalseedbank.com this week and get hundreds of dollars in free bonuses. Beat the coming chaos. Beat rising food prices. But above all, don't wait. Beat the crowds by claiming your own Survival Seed Bank today. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you, too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. I'm here with Scott Uceum, founder of OMG Tax. Tell us how your company helps our listeners out there who have a problem with the IRS. My team of lawyers, enrolled agents, and licensed tax experts remove wage garnishments sometimes in the same day. We even have reduced the total debt some of our clients were required to pay through what is known as an offer in compromise. Can you give us an example of somebody you help? Oh, can I ever. We have taken a $500,000 liability with the IRS. Guess what? The client didn't pay a dime through the representation known as non-collectible status with the government. If you owe the IRS more than $10,000 and you want to see if it's possible to pay a lot less, call OMG Tax right now for a free tax-saving consultation. Call 800-486-8112. 800-486-8112. That's 800-486-8112. With a MechTech carbine conversion unit, you can turn an XD family Glock or 1911 handgun into a carbine rifle in seconds and have it shipped right to your door, no FFL required. Now, MechTech is excited to announce our pistol carbine conversion unit. More compact with a 12-inch barrel and an arm brace, proving once again that MechTech is the world's most versatile handgun accessory. For a limited time, go to handgunconversions.com. That's handgunconversions.com and use coupon code RADIO to receive $35 off any carbine purchase. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Yes, he should have a future as an announcer when he's 97. He became the world's foremost authority after Erwin Corey died. Edwin R. Murrow? Well, you guys have lost me, so. <laughs> we lost our, each other. We just haven't started. <laughs> you don't know who Edward R. Murrow was, Randall? No. You can tell us, though. Tell us who Edward R. Murrow was, is. Well, he was Gene's contemporary, probably. <laughs> uh, let's just say a few years off from that. Yeah. Somewhat before What was he best time. known for? 
he was a broadcaster. He he presented the news with a with a stentorian authoritarian voice. Oh, okay. And oh, I knew stentorian well. I knew him in junior high school in physics class. No, I'm kidding. So like a Walter Cronkite or something. Before Cronkite, yeah. Oh, before Cronkite, because I remember Cronkite, you know, with the mustache and everything. Everybody remembers. Well, I mean, not everybody, but people who are, I, I guess, over 60 would. He's dating us, Gene. <laughs> well, okay, just to date him even more, Edward R. Murrow died in 1965. Oh, yeah, he, before my time. Yeah, he was. he didn't die... At a very old age, he was, looks here, he was born in 1908, so it was like 57 years old. And I think it was lung cancer, I might be wrong. Yeah, he smoked like a smokestack, if I recall. So was he like Frank Edwards and stuff, where he would do like re reports on UFOs? Well, he may have covered UFOs in one of his shows, but no, he was a straight-ahead radio and TV anchor. Yeah, yeah, a new, an early news anchor, I suppose, is how we can describe him. Probably, yeah. yes. Yeah. Before there Primarily was for CBS. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, before the break, we were talking a little bit about proofs. So uh, what we have really, I think what we need to be talking about is evidence and the different kinds of evidence. So we have scientifically valid material evidence, and then we have evidence that isn't material but might be considered more of a soft science, like the psychology side of things, where people have a, an experience which is limited to their subjective perception of the events. Mm -hmm. And so there is some science involved there. The science of vision is fairly well known. We know if we see things, there probably is something there as opposed to not something there. But it's not the same as having that you know, slab of metamaterials you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And um, you get into evidence. Um, people often say, you know, there's 10,000 or 20,000 UFO reports. You know, surely that's proof that we're being visited. Except that if you look at those individual reports, they themselves don't constitute evidence. But at the same time, you know, um, if a person, you know, you have to see the old ex expression. Well, well hang on. I think UFO reports constitute evidence, but what kind of evidence do they constitute is the question. They, they don't constitute verifiable, scientifically valid material evidence, main, you know, but I think people seeing things and reporting them can be considered evidence. Evidence of what, though? Evidence that an experience is alleged <laughs> to have taken place yeah there's no question <laughs> of that yeah um i mean it's the old you know i won't see it until i see it with my own eyes well what happens if uh somebody does uh see a ufo with their own eyes and they can't explain it uh, to them that is not just evidence it's proof proof that you know the aliens are really here because they saw a flying saucer and i've spoken with many many witnesses uh over the years who said yeah you know i i didn't believe in this sort of stuff until i saw it myself and that thing didn't fly like a plane it wasn't a helicopter uh you know it wasn't a shooting star it was something else i believe that we're being visited now that is the conversion of a witness into a believer and that you know is the only evidence that that person needs their next door neighbor though who hasn't had that experience will never have that you know that same 
conversion experience unless it happens to them as well. But the, the two people, you know, uh, are living in different, entirely different belief systems now, where one has experienced it and the other one has not, and their whole worldview is different. They're still, uh, you know, living on the same planet. That is such an that is such an excellent observation, and and I hope that when you're teaching this, that you are able to convey some of this to the people that you teach. Because um, being a witness to a UFO myself, I, and we have to get back to whether or not you have seen one as well, uh, but it's true. Those of us who do believe alien visitation is a reality, we might not know exactly where they're from and all the details, but we we know that there is something alien visiting our planet. And when you know that without any doubt, the world definitely is a different place to you than to someone who thinks, well, it might be the case. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's really quite fascinating to, to, I mean, I've, I've attended enough UFO conferences and and sat in on experiencers uh, uh, workshops. You know, it's fascinating to me. I, you know, I, people have asked me, you know, uh, you know, where I stand on all of this, and I don't. Uh, I'm not invested in the UFO phenomenon in that way. For me, um, I, I don't have to prove that aliens exist or not. I'm fascinated with the phenomenon of UFOs. That means I'm fascinated by the reports. I'd like to know more about what people have seen and what are what they're continuing to see. I'm fascinated by the fact I can go to conferences and workshops and and listen to people and and engage in conversation with them about their beliefs and and what they've they've had happen to them themselves. The uh, the the publications, the UFO zines, the huckster rooms, the atmosphere. Uh, the movies and TV series that spin off uh, and uh, that drive people's belief in this type of thing. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's a fascinating phenomenon and a, a very much of a human phenomenon. Uh, oh, definitely. Very, the, the cultural side of it, I would say, is not, over 90% of ufology is all about the culture. And I, I have to agree with you. For me, my belief in, in the reality of it just makes all of the cultural stuff sort of that much more interesting and better. But even without the reality of it, it's still fascinating and a lot, and it can be a lot of fun as well as educational because when people have to think about it seriously, you cover a lot of scientific ground there in order to explain what these things might or might not be. And I, I think ufology and UFOs have inspired a lot of real life science. I wanted to bring up here something we touched on before, the experiences, the experiencers, channeling, being abducted, meeting E.T. What's going on with these people? Are they having genuine experiences? And if those experiences are genuine, what are they? Are they connected with what we see as UFOs or are they separate? Certainly Jerry Clark will separate UFOs and the experience phenomenon. More to come with Chris Rutkowski, who will also be on After the Paracast this week with Gene and Randall. You're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. 
Visit GCNlive.com today. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNhemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right. We cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNhemp.com or call 877-878-4203. This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNLife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. USA Radio News with Wendy King. An upset at the Kentucky Derby. Larry Colmus with the call for NBC Sports. Outside the gates, protesters calling for racial justice. Michael George has more. Protesters gathered near Churchill Downs as the 146th Kentucky Derby was getting underway. Demonstrators are calling for justice after the police shooting death of Breonna Taylor in her Louisville apartment in March. In Portland, Oregon, police are preparing for the 100th night of consecutive protests. I understand that they're tired, but at the same time, we're tired of you killing black people. Police say rocks were thrown at them on Friday night. This is USA Radio News. Experts are warning that Labor Day could be a super spreading weekend for COVID-19. USA Radio Network's Tim Berg has some tips on how you should stay safe this holiday weekend. One of the nation's top infectious disease experts, Dr. Anthony Fauci, says he would be comfortable getting a coronavirus vaccine if it's proven to be safe and effective. As far as keeping our guard up during the coronavirus pandemic over the holiday weekend, Surgeon General Jerome Adams tells ABC's Good Morning America we need to mask up and stay vigilant regarding the coronavirus. Well, I'm very concerned when you look at Memorial Day, July 4th. We had a peak in this country on July 24th, which was about two to three weeks after the 4th of July. So we know that uh, during these holidays, people come together for barbecues, for picnics. They travel. And and that sets us up for spread of a highly contagious disease like COVID-19. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg. You're listening to USA Radio News. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pau Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus doesn't grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system. And it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one-pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit ShopSuperTea.com. That's Shop, S-H-O-P, Super, S-U-P-E-R, T-T-E-A, dot com. So the complete website is ShopSuperTea.com. Or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, California time. 
That's ShopSuperTea.com at 818-984-6100. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, Chris, what is happening to these people who have these close-up and personal encounters with a lot more than a strange object in the sky? Well, you know, that's a fascinating subject, uh, you know, all to itself. And I, one of my books is actually on uh, UFO abductions called Abductions and Aliens, What's Really Going On. Um, and uh, it's now, uh, you know, almost 20 years old, that, that book. You know, I, I, I Does that mean the book's growing a beard now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I um, I uh, actually facilitated a uh, abductee support group back a number of years ago as well, very briefly. And the reason I did it very briefly is, you know, I, I had actually spoken with Bud Hopkins. I uh, followed the literature, talked with Jacobs and, and so forth. And the idea was to try and understand what it is because I was having people coming up to me uh, at my lectures and talks and, uh, uh, you know, saying that they've had these experiences. And I, I actually had a, uh, a military officer come show up at my office door uh, and say, you know, he can't talk to his CEO about this, but uh, he thinks that he was abducted by aliens. What do you do with those types of cases? And, you know, I had enough of these. I thought, well, and, and I had people coming to me and say, is there a support group? And I thought, well, it would be interesting. It might be useful so I, I got a group together, and I, you know, I, I did all the right things in terms of uh, therapy and counseling sessions. You know, what stays, what's said in the room stays in the room. You know, no crosstalk. You know, had policies and all this sort of stuff. And I quickly realized that it wasn't going to be productive necessarily. It was more for the benefit of the experiencers themselves than for anything really in terms of research because the stages of belief and the stages of the experiences were were really varied. I mean, there were people in the group who had one experience and didn't know what to make of it. And then you had lifelong experiencers who had hybrid babies um, in every planet between here and uh, Andromeda. There were people who were convinced the aliens were evil, and there were people who equally as convinced that the aliens were, were benevolent, and they would actually get into fights in some of the, uh, uh, some of the meetings. And it quickly uh, was apparent to me that ufologists are probably the last people who should be involved in working with experiencers. And the reason I said that is because uh, I quickly um, encountered and met people who had serious psychosocial uh, issues. Uh, some people had attempted suicide uh, because of their experiences, because of their experiences, because the aliens were constantly watching them. Some had huge levels of anxiety. Some were clearly paranoid. Some uh, had one woman who had ex- experienced uh, an invasive abduction in her own bedroom that later through counseling uh, revealed it was actually a a screen memory of a date rape. And there were many like this that made me think, you know, ufologists are the least suited for dealing with this. So I had worked very closely with uh, clinical psychologists, not because experiencers were quote-unquote crazy, but because there were a lot of issues involved 
uh, into their own lives that you know that that ufologists are simply not trained for. And so I, you know, backed out of that. I still have worked with some on occasion, and uh, I understand the issues involved. And, uh, uh, you know, what is uh, being experienced is quite fascinating. But I don't necessarily think that field investigators are the people who should be working with abductees. Certainly therapists and counselors who can better sympathize with what's going on and help people work through some of their distress. Uh, because, you know, if you look at it that way, certainly being abducted by aliens would certainly give you anxiety and distress and might lead to depression and suicidal thoughts. Uh, and for me, it's very, very important that uh, people who are experiencing uh, such uh, events get help. Um, and whether it's professional help from counselors or psychiatrists or from people uh, who are simply fascinated and, and working with individuals like that, uh, David Gottlieb, for example, in Toronto, uh, who was a, a, a general practitioner who ended up using uh, hypnosis uh, in his work with uh, abductees, is a good example of this, that it's just a matter of working with and being sympathetic with experiencers. Um, I ha also have worked with some who, you know, who have gone beyond experiencers into the contactee realm. Um, that certainly causes you know, uh, people to roll their eyes sometimes. And my, my comment about contactees today is that the contactees of the 1950s were uh, certainly a lot more fun. Um, you know, Giant Rock uh, would have probably turned away a lot of the people who are, uh, you know, coming forward today at UFO conferences about star seeds and so forth. But, uh, you know, there's no question that something is going on. I don't think it's as uh, at the same level as Omni Magazine's survey that I think they said sort of like 50 or 60 percent of the population have had abduction experiences. Uh, I, I think we're, we're probably somewhat lower than that. And whether they actually represent contact with aliens, I don't see the proof, whether it's physical, tangible, or, or experiential, uh, that that's going on. But there's something clearly going on in the nature of who we are in our quest for uh, ourselves that suggests that it's something that's worth looking into. And the good news is there's a lot of doctoral theses that are being published every year on the abduction phenomenon, in, you know, in whether it's interviews directly with abductees and uh, uh, and experiences or, or something beyond that, that people are taking it seriously at a, an academic level. And it's not a matter of being laughed at. It's not a matter of, of pointing fingers. It's saying what can be done to help and work with people who are experiencing things like this. Now, when I look at this, the claim of a physical contact really can be refuted in different ways. Number one, the ubiquity, the fact that so many people have it. The other is, well, if you're an advanced alien species, how many genetic samples must you take before you cover the variations? How many? And why well, do you need to subject people to sometimes painful examinations? You could do this in a way that the experiencer, whatever they are, the victim, the abductee, wouldn't even know it. Absolutely true. And, and in terms of how many samples are enough, well, I hate to mention the pandemic, but how much testing is needed? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We've got our <laughs> Yeah. Uh, nice one, Chris. 
Yeah, I've worked with enough graduate students and uh, microbiologists that there's never enough sampling. Never. <laughs> yeah, well, those are all really good points. And, and also, um, well, there are cases where people claim, you know, they, they, didn't, they don't remember anything. They just have missing time. That's pretty hard to erase. You know, they, they're in one place all of a sudden, and then they're in another place. A bunch of time has gone by, and they don't really remember anything. Sometimes they have a vague recollection of some weird light in the sky. Sometimes they do see a UFO. But a lot of times, people just really don't know. They just have this missing time. So it, that kind of fits the profile if you want to do it without people knowing. Yeah, yeah but the I, question I, I, here is then, why... Would it necessarily be the result of an abduction? There are reasons why people can black out. Uh It could be medication. It could be a medical problem. It doesn't have to mean that they are abducted. They could wake up. Oh, my God. Seven hours have passed. You see this, by the way, in the third season of a TV show on Amazon called Goliath. Okay. It's about a lawyer who gets involved in all these crazy cases. It's produced by David E. Kelly, so you know it's going to be a screwy show. And but I, the same thing is he's being given a drug. And as a result of that drug influence, he has hallucinations and missing time. And we do not have to assume that anytime someone suddenly is missing a couple of hours, that E.T. came down in a spaceship, picked them up, probed their private parts, and sent them back to Earth. I just don't know. About that. Oh, yes, yeah, sure. No, oh, yeah, it's a valid point. More to come with Chris Fridkowski, and he'll stay for after the Paracast. With Gina and Randall, you're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. We all have heard about the benefits of fish oils, but what about the presence of heavy metals, PCBs, dioxins, furans, and other contaminants found in fatty tissues of fish? GCNteam.com recognizes this risk and offers IFOS certified tested omega-3 fatty acids, EPA, DHA, Insist on IFOS Omega-3 Fatty Acid Certification. Get the best at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. 
Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. If you or a loved one is a survivor of abuse by Boy Scouts of America representatives as far back as the 1970s, we urge you to speak up. We'll stand with you and get you the help and financial compensation you deserve. A jury in Portland, for example, awarded $18.5 million in punitive damages in one Boy Scout sexual abuse case. The Boy Scouts of America filed for bankruptcy, and funds have been set aside to compensate those injured. Time is limited, and so are the funds. Call today. Don't wait. For free information on how to file your claim, call All Survivors Advocates right now. We have a long track record in helping our clients get the legal justice and compensation they deserve. Please, we are ready to help you. Call today. 800 364 2984. 800 364 2984. That's 800 364 2984. That's 800 364 2984. Hello, this is John Burroughs, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. As you see, as the show progresses, Randall becomes more robotic. He's going to become a cyborg, right, Chris? I have no doubt of that whatsoever. And as far as memory and erased memory and so forth, you know, I, I say if you remember being abducted by aliens, it's because it was actually a military operation that implanted those memories. And if you don't remember being abducted, it's because the aliens erased your memory. Well, let me ask you a question about that. In all your research, we have the Men in Black legends. We have reports occasionally that some of the key UFO sightings were the result of some kind of government experimentation. Certainly, Nick Redfern has written about that a few times, and he's mentioned this, of course, in his frequent appearances on the Powercast. What do you think? There's a test aspect to some of this UFO stuff? Well, you know, there, there probably is. I draw on my knowledge of Canadian history uh, to know about the LSD experiments by the CIA uh, at universities across Canada. 
where some famous uh, personalities, I think the wife of a famous Canadian politician, uh, I think the last name was Orlico, was uh, given some LSD for an experiment and had some really wild trips and eventually had to be uh, psychiatrically hospitalized. There's no question that some of this is occurring. Uh, there's also a very amazing book by, the last name is O'Brien, Elizabeth O'Brien, somebody O'Brien, called Operators and Things, which is a first-person account of a person with schizophrenia who uh, eventually uh, does come out of the, uh, the schizophrenic experience, but talks in terms of seeing these entities, creatures from another planet and so forth, who are interacting with her. No one else could see them except her and would interact with her on a daily basis, directing her life. Just uh, She was walking around, going to the grocery store and interacting with other people, and she was the only person who was seeing these, these other creatures. So because those types of experiences do exist and are being experienced by people, one has to you know, incorporate this into some understanding of ufology and uh, abduction experiences. And whether there's uh, clandestine experiments going on with the CIA in the United States, through my lab and, and, and those types of things, you know, there's no question that some strange stuff is going on, you know, whether people are staring at goats or not is in a, you know, a matter of belief. But there are some experiments going on. They've got another series coming out now about what's been going on at Skinwalker Ranch, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do you think of that whole thing? I mean, that uh, that just smacks to me of some kind of experimental testing facility or area or something, because we oh. know that they do that. We've had well, John, yeah. John Alexander on. So, you know, PSYOPs is real. It's not just fiction. Yeah, although Michael Benias, if you had, I don't think you've had MJ Benias on, speaking oh, yeah. of another... Oh, yes. have had him on several times, and he'll be back possibly later this month. I understand he's had a new addition to his family. Congratulations, MJ. And we look forward to getting him scheduled probably very soon. Yeah, absolutely. And and he he was at Skinwalker Ranch. He went there. Most people don't know that uh, he's one of the people who's helped me with the Canadian UFO survey physically because we've gone for drinks all the time, and he's he's, uh, in the same city as me. We get together quite a bit. He told me about his experiences at Skinwalker before the articles and, and stories came out. And he, I think he was there during the filming, uh, if I'm not mistaken, as well, of, of some of the series. His view um, is there's, there's something going on, but probably not to the extent that uh, is hyped by the, the TV show. But now this is all secondhand. You'd have to get it from him uh, himself. Are there experiments going on? Probably. To the extent that, you know, they would contribute significantly to the abduction phenomenon, I have my own personal doubts on that. Well, if it was certainly part of the picture, it would be, I think, kind of excessive. On the other hand, something like Barney and Betty Hill. There are, I think, logical reasons to think it could have been. 1961, interracial couple at a time when they had to go through a lot of problems dealing with people. They live near a military base, counted amongst their friends the military. And we have the classic profile of a UFO abduction, but could it have been due to some kind of military experimentation? Now, certainly Kathleen Martin, Betty Hill's niece, will say no. To her, it was a real experience involving an encounter with possible alien beings. But I don't know. I still get that little buzz 
in my gut saying there's something more there. Well, one only has to look at the story of Paul Benowitz to realize that there is uh, such intelligence operations on people's belief systems and, and uh, life. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. Well, I just okay. wonder if it's still happening today. I would think so many crazy things are happening. The least of it would be the military or any top secret agency wanting to get involved in that anymore. I think if people are having experiences now, there are reasons for it, but it wouldn't be necessarily that. It's also possible, by the way, that some of the sightings we have could be test aircraft of some sort. And given for the variances in eyewitness testimony and a lot of cultural influence, this can become that real easily. I agree completely. Okay, well, that's all sort of really great when it comes to, you know, sightings by adults, you know, because abductions in adults and all of that. You've also got another book. I saw it too, Real UFO Sightings by Kids. Do you think that they're playing these games with children too? Oh, I don't know if that's uh, necessarily what's happening with kids, but it's been fascinating to me the fact that there are cases on record where children uh, in some cases, significant numbers of children in the case of the school children in, in Africa, for example, where they have had experiences and out of the mouths of babes, uh, as sometimes said, you know, the, you know would, a, would a child, admittedly with an active imagination, report these types of things and have the same experiences that uh, adults are reporting without too much influence? There's some fascinating cases on record where kids have had close encounters and they just sort of said, yeah, we you know, talked to the aliens and uh, they gave us a, a cookie and you know, took off again. And as a matter of fact, not seeking to impress anybody with their their statements whether they're true or not we're not sure and whether you know getting into the proof and truth is a matter of opinion in some cases but the fact that kids have had these experiences was very interesting to me so i i gathered together a, a set of cases where children had had some encounters and put it together in a book uh, along with enrichment, some value added. So asking the questions, do you believe? What would you do if you encountered a creature like what was seen? How would you describe it? Would you tell your parents, you know, is it possible that aliens would look like this? So it's actually, you know, designed for, written by, in some cases, using the the children's own words from testimony, but also uh, drawn. Uh, I actually had a a manga artist uh, draw the illustrations for it. Oh, very cool. Let's end this main segment of the Paracast and pick this up in After the Paracast, get some case histories there. For those who are really, really interested in finding out more of what you do, tell us where do they go. You can uh, check me out uh, on Facebook, uh, Chris Rachowski, or go to survey.canadianuforeport.com to look at the latest Canadian UFO survey. And, of course, every few months he's on the Paracast. He'll be back. In a moment, if you're listening to After the Paracast for this week, you can find us on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. You can find us on Facebook with two official Paracast fan club groups, things, whatever. Facebook gets more inscrutable as the Zuckerbergs get richer and richer. I don't want to connect it. Get branded merchandise. If you go to the Paracast.shop, we've got throw pillows and t-shirts and even Richard Keel, the late Richard Keel, if he were alive today at seven foot two, we would have something that would fit him. Believe it or not, we have a wide range of sizes there. Even for mini me, 
I think we'd have a size for mini me too. The Paracast.shop. Check out the Paracast.plus for the Paracast Plus subscription. We give you the version of the show free of the network ads with enhanced audio. So those dulcet tones from Chris Rutkowski are more dulcet, if that's possible. We also have the After the Paracast podcast. You never know what's going to happen next. And quite often we feature continuations of our interviews because there's always so much to talk about. So we want you to check it out. Special low subscription rates for the duration of this rather unfortunate crisis we have. Go to the Paracast.plus for the latest rates to subscribe. Chris Rutkowski, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. Good to be here. Featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. <laughs>